Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, and welcome to another Scudetto Euro special. Italy leave it late against Austria, but take a valuable lesson in suffering in the process. We swap notes on Freddie Church and controlling the ball with your face before handing over to our Belgian equivalents for a scouting report. All that plus civilised beers and a disgruntled parent in this episode of Scudetto. Hello, Azzurri fan. Uh, the squad is very happy and honestly a little bit relieved to still be here. As our regular listeners will know, we are podcasting this tournament for as long as Italy stay in it. Um, and I have to admit, they did have us a bit worried for a second there when Austria took them into overtime. Uh, so we'll be reliving that nervousness shortly. Um, and then we'll be previewing the Belgian game. And to help us out with that, we've got a very special guest. Uh, that's Joris from the Belgian Football Podcast. He's going to be giving us a scouting report. Uh, so do stick around for that. But first of all, let's catch up with the squad. Uh, Kenny, how are you getting on? I'm doing well, Oscar. Thanks. Congratulations are, are in order. Your your fellow countrymen uh, managed to make it through a, a a rather tough tough encounter yesterday. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed yeah. it. Thanks for that. I did enjoy. It. I was actually playing football during the second half, so I was kind of we had roll on roll off subs. So I was just kind of checking my phone every time I came off, and uh, yeah, I have to admit I was celebrating on the sidelines. <laughs> um, but- uh, yeah. When you first said you were going to congratulate me, then I thought you were going to congratulate me on my new microphone. Hopefully, hmm. listeners will notice I sound a bit clearer than usual. Yeah, it is a thing of beauty to to behold on our, our webcams here. We've been getting a lot of emails about the quality of your sound, so it's uh, <laughs> it's refreshing to hear you now. Yeah, it was funded funded by our uh, new sponsor. So there's no new sponsor. People do get in touch with us if you want to sponsor this podcast. <laughs> uh, how about you, Boaz? How's your week been? My, my week's been very football-filled and uh, very hot, and that's about it. Yeah, I think uh, many people can relate to that this week. And uh, what, what have you got to drink? Have you cracked into one of your many IPAs this week? Yeah, I'm keeping all the exotic and weird-flavored beers for when we start up at the new at the new season, but I'm having a Hordeland Kveik IPA right now, and I'm convinced that they're just sticking random words in front of IPA. Where's that beer from? So it kind of has a Nordic name, your region, but then it's from Thornbridge, which I presume is a British uh, brewery. Yeah, speaking of beers of uncertain origin, I've got something that's from a Finnish brewery, um, but it's called a Mississippi beer, a steam IPA, and it's got an American flag on it. So Again, what is steam IPA? Someone explain this to me. I don't know. It's got a picture of a steamship on it. It tastes kind of, it tastes a bit like kind of molasses or something. It's like, it's quite sweet, but kind of... Tastes like it's quite dark in color. Can't actually see it because it's in a can. But yeah, quite enjoying it so far. Um, and Kenny, we didn't do your beer. So tell us what you've got. 
Yeah, I've got myself. I've had this one on the the podcast before, but not during the Euros. Uh, in honor of Harry Kane from Tottenham scoring the his first goal of the Euros, I've got myself a beer from Tottenham. It's uh, yeah, my my favorite really, Beavertown Neck Oil Session IPA. It's very uh, fair minded of you to celebrate his success in an England shirt. Uh, applaud you for that. Um, right, let's talk about what this podcast is about, which is Italian football. So, starting with the previous game, they had us worried, didn't they? We have to give uh, credit to Fabian, our previous guest, for saying that, that you know it could be a close game, and um, yeah, they they really really made it difficult all the way to extra time. Um, Kenny, you were screaming for Chiesa to come on, and uh, when he did, kind of kind of made the difference. Were you in discussions with Mancini's backroom staff? <laughs> Um, I, to, to be honest, I think probably most of Italy was. Uh, I, I should prelude this by saying that I, I am a big Berardi fan, and I think that Berardi has been great throughout this tournament. But unfortunately, he was one of the one of the many players that wasn't really doing it on the on the night, as it were. Uh, and Italy, quite obviously, struggling for for goals. It just seemed like the the obvious answer. Chiesa gives something a little bit. Different. He's, I believe, one of the fastest players at the at these Euros. I think he came in like somewhere like tenth or something on the on the scale. Yeah, and to be honest, it, it did it did make all all the difference. And he's impressed every time he's he's come on. I did also, I think, in that same WhatsApp group, call uh, the pessinator uh, for 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 the one who would score the winner, and I uh, got that one right as well. But uh, sadly, did not play the lottery on that night. So unfortunately, yeah. still just as poor as I was then. You didn't put a lumpy on it, unfortunately. I Otherwise, didn't, we, wouldn't need no. a, we wouldn't need a sponsor. Yeah, Baz, uh, Ed, did you place any bets on this game? Unfortunately, um, betting in Israel is much harder than. Oh, well, fortunately, betting in Israel is much harder than it is in the UK, and so my. Football betting has gone down dramatically since I moved here. Same here, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I've my again my betting has gone down dramatically, but I wanted to say that actually I think that the timing of the sub for both Chiesa and Piscina was spot on from uh, Mancini. Yes, he could have brought them on a little bit earlier and maybe tried to win the game in the ninety. But uh, considering this is a tournament and there's um, extra time to be taken into consideration. And to bring on a player of such impact, uh, or actually players of such impact, really kind of threw uh, Austria's game plan a little bit out of the window. You mentioned the Pessinator there earlier, and uh, he, I f- he had also a big role to play in uh, Chiesa's goal. He drags uh, Alaba, who was uh, imperious throughout the game, he drags him out of position, allowing, uh, giving Chiesa that extra moment. Of course, Chiesa's stop with his nose is... Uh, not the easiest of stops, but uh... <laughs> that was really impressive control. Actually, wasn't it? I think if he'd controlled it any other way, it would have would have struggled to get the same trajectory. And you have to say, it's possible that uh, another player in that position would have tried something different, or would not quite have managed to pull off such a play. So credit to him. While we're speaking about Keza, we have to credit him for his incredible English that he's been showcasing throughout this tournament. Um, Probably he went to some private school in uh, Florence when his father was a professional. Um, some of Maybe us maybe just know watched this. a lot of videos online. I mean, well, I, we know we know the circuit. Some of us, uh, the international. I was going to say, I mean, it would be, would be in character to watch a lot of uh, videos for Mr. Yeah. Uh, well, no, that would be Piscina. 
Are we not but talking about Pasina? We're, we're, we're talking, talking about Kesa. Yeah, we're talking uh, about Kesa's Kesa's English. Freddie Church. Freddie Church has great English. <laughs> but Freddie Church did go to the International School of Florence for seven years, according to an interview he did with the Gazzetta about six years. Well, maybe not six years ago, but four or five years ago, quite some time ago. So perhaps, yeah, no, no surprises. Boaz uh, and I actually went to the similar type of. Uh, establishments in, in Italy. Were they your rivals in this sort of regional football team? We, we never, we, we don't even consider Florence on the circuit. It's uh, Rome, Milan, and <laughs> sometimes Trieste. Okay, so good insight into uh, <laughs> school football in the 90s. But yeah, I mean, getting back to the, the Italy game, actually, I think there's been quite a lot of uh, negativity in, in Italy following this result, saying basically... Uh, I know one of the radio phone-ins that I listen to quite quite frequently. There are people calling in saying that Italy have found their level and that you know they're getting carried away with themselves before the tournament. And the thing is that yes, this was a game in which Italy undoubtedly the level dipped a little bit, and we have to give credit to Austria for that as well because they were absolutely fantastic. Uh, but also that it's very rare that you will see a national team go through an entire tournament without having a dip at, at some point. I mean, we remember the Italy-Australia game in the, the the World Cup that they went on to win where they very nearly got knocked out at a similar stage. So I don't really think this tells us anything about Italy's chances. Undoubtedly, they need to play better than that against Belgium to, to stand a chance of going through. Um, but yeah, I mean... It shows another side, doesn't it? It shows that they can dig in and get a result. And also it shows that Mancini can make substitutions that will turn a game around. And that is definitely going to be uh, vital as the tournament goes on. Yeah. I mean, we'd been kind of laying into pundits for uh, classifying Italy as a very defensive team that just likes to soak up the pressure. But they did really show they do still have that side to their game, just being able to kind of suffer through periods of intense pressure and... Yes, maybe that shouldn't have been happening against Austria, but it's something that's important, could be important later in the tournament as well. And of course, Italy went on to break their um, unbeaten minutes record as well in this phase. Uh, Austria's goal, of course, came in extra time. So Italy were able to add another 113 minutes to to this uh, incredible run. And it was a little bit of a cheap goal to concede, if we have to be honest, um, uh, to be beaten on the front post uh, with number of players around the guy who scored was a little bit disappointing maybe it's for the best maybe um finally not not thinking about this incredible record and just going out and playing your natural game will benefit the team and another thing is we we kind of joked on our last episode that uh this has been an easy ride let's say and that italy are not used to um coasting through the groups and having a good time out of it I, I tweeted during the game in Italian, but that it's not you're not watching the national team if you're not suffering. And in in a way, it's it's kind of good to revert to form and show that this Italy bunch are not just a bunch of uh, fancy dans who like to play uh, progressive football, but that they can also mix it with uh, their opponents. Honestly, Buzz, I've been quite enjoying like since I've been following Italy since we started this podcast, supporting a team where you didn't have to suffer whilst watching them <laughs> and uh, watching them against Austria just reverted to reverted to what I know of uh, of watching football so it's a bit disappointing but it's also familiarly satisfying and touching on your disappointment I think uh, a lot of us are often very critical of VAR and uh, a lot of people always feel that it, it kind of uh, 
stops the game is stop start and it it's not natural but my god as an italian football fan i love our those two goals in uh, <laughs> three four years ago would have been given and italy would have been knocked out and there would have been recriminations and we would have been crazy and instead here we are talking about yet another victory and it's fine margins and on another day austria might have got those goals but they didn't and italy were able to capitalize yeah, I guess uh, if it, indeed we have, we have to speak about the um, Arnautovic goal because probably that I mean that that would have been a really tough situation for for Italy to to come back from. So yeah, saved by the gods. But uh, to use uh, a footballing cliche, as I'm prone to every now and again, you you need a bit of luck to challenge for these things. But yeah, I understand he's bound for bound for Bologna, so uh, that that'll be interesting to see. Interesting to see him in in Syria next season. Of course, he's a man who has a Champions League uh, tattoo, having never played a minute in the Inter-Champions <laughs> League victory that he played in. And uh, Jose Mourinho has some great quotes about him when they, when they arrived. He, he, apparently, he claimed that he was better than Milito and uh, Eto and all the other strikers who were there. Just play me, man. Boss, just play me. Yeah, Fabian and I were speaking about him last week in the build-up and just how he's erratic both on and off the pitch you just never really know if he's gonna play if he's gonna have a racist outburst at someone it's uh also it, it wasn't racist he he clarified after without being prompted that it wasn't racist so definitely wasn't racist but uh, <laughs> yeah certainly an erratic personality um and speaking of which i'm oh, sorry have you got something to add first just to kenny touched on uh, a few disappointing performances and uh I'd be remiss without touching on one of the players who's probably frustrated me the most in this tournament, and that is uh, the beautiful man that is Chiwe Mobile up front. I, I'm a big fan of his at Lazio when Simone Inzaghi had the whole team playing towards uh, to get uh, Immobile in goal-scoring situations, but his, uh, his matches for Italy, leaving the goals aside in the group, have been very frustrating, and this last one in particular... It seemed like he was almost unable to control the ball. Um, he was slowing down the play. I texted you guys in the halftime saying that uh, the only golden boot he's coming close to in this tournament is if his dog will piss on his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was some uh, there were some Gazetta stats actually today, which Boaz, you you uh, pressed me to to mention during the during the pod. Um, but one of them was in fact the comparison between Lukaku and Immobile, and the stats show actually that Italy, it, amazingly, really when you consider the reputation Belgium have uh, have created uh, far more far more chances of a far more shots on goal than the Belgium have. It's 23 to 17 throughout the, the tournament. Shots in total, 41 to 15. Um, and I guess the, the Lukaku and Immobile stat that I was talking about that kind of is indicative of where the, the issue lies is that Lukaku has uh, converted 50% of uh, the chances that he's received, whereas Immobile has converted 20%. So... Hopefully uh, he gets a bit sharper as the tournament goes on, and uh, yeah. yeah, we can we can put this whole who's Italy's number nine to bed. Yeah, uh, thanks for that, Kenny. And that is a perfect segue to the Belgium game. Um, Italy, of course, facing Belgium on Friday night in the quarterfinal in the Allianz Arena. And let's listen to our scouting report first. It's uh, from Juris at the Belgian Football Podcast. 
Belgium's tournament is a bit of a rocky one so far, but ultimately without many surprises since they have won every game so far and conceded only one goal along the way. In the group stages this was expected, three wins out of three against uh, Finland, Denmark and Russia. But more importantly for the team spirit, I guess all outfield players in the squad even got some playing time. Not going as far as even switching the goalkeeper, I suppose, but still a nice thing to keep everyone motivated. The worries before the tournament are in the, are still there. How is the defense holding up? Although they faced uh, and uh, conquered uh, the, uh, a real first test against Portugal, they, they really had a good game there. Yeah, so in uh, in general, I guess it, it, it isn't as pretty as it used to be. I, I guess we the Belgium moved a bit more to a more realistic style of play instead of the more romanticized style of play that... Well, that they were playing in the in the World Cup in 2018. I do expect Belgium to um, line up against Italy more or less in the same way as they did against Portugal, lying deeper, a bit deeper, because um, yeah, the, the defense is is, the, is still the main worry. The aging defense: are they still fast enough? Are they uh, do they have enough speed? Are they versatile and mobile enough, uh, basically, to to face strong opponents? Against Portugal, it worked really well with lying a bit deeper than usual. And I, I expect this to be the case again against uh, the versatile and dynamic attackers that Italy holds to give them less space to run in behind um, the defense. For the rest, well, as been has, has been the case all tournament, everything will depend on the fitness of uh, some key players. And in this case, obviously, uh, Kevin Bruyne and Eden Hazard, uh, regardless of names, the setup will most likely be the, the hybrid 4-3-3 or 3-5-2 that Belgium has been playing for a few years now. Especially since, um, well, both this defense lying deep is an option and, and it's easier to uh, execute like this. And um, it could be an interesting one against Italy with its more compact play. While Belgium, as always, will focus on the wings, uh, which should be an interesting fight and uh, could be a good side game. And, and I guess they're the, also with lying deeper, well, with the defending deeper, they might also be able to find the space themselves uh, in the in the back of Spinazzola, who's having an incredible tournament, of course, offensively. But maybe there's something that they can do on the on the counter attack there if they execute their counters a, a lot better than they did against Portugal, where they were lacking a lot in that. So if everything goes well from Belgian perspective and everything, everyone gets fit in time, I don't really expect any changes. But if there are, and it looks like at least one uh, change will be happening, whichever one will be um, uh, of Kevin Werner or Eden Hazard, we don't know yet. Nobody knows. And I think they will try to keep up that smoke screen uh, for as long as possible. But if they are not fit, um, Leandro Trossard and Jeremy Doku could make a start or otherwise get on the pitch as a sub later on. Trossard is in his style uh, the closest match to Eden Hazard, not at the same level um, in, in any sense. But um, yeah, he also has these dribbling movements and these short turns like, um, like that we all love as a football fan, at least for uh, from Eden Hazard. And um, 19-year-old uh, Jeremy Doku is a speed rocket with uh, really good and uh, dribbling skills as well. But he, uh, his, he needs, needs to increase his efficiency a bit. But I do really see him getting on uh, in case Italy would have the lead later on in the game or 
if Belgium is not having the lead um, to, to make the difference because he can really wreak havoc uh, in, if he has his good day. And then, yeah, of hope we hope that his efficiency will lead into an assist or, or that uh, that he will cover his lack, that lack of efficiency this time and improves in that. It's uh, an aspect that he needs to improve on, but he slowly is as well. So we're hopeful for that. Regarding Dries Mertes, well, in, uh, also the timing of this question of, uh, about Dries Mertes is important. A few years ago, he was definitely the most loved Red Devil because uh, because of, and I'm not kidding here, his cute appearance, which made a lot of the people that are not really interested in football but do follow the national team fall in love with him. But nowadays, even there, there are more critics because, to be honest, um, he does not really have the level anymore which you could clearly see against Portugal, not the, the level that the Red Devils um, need and want in the in these stages of a tournament, at least uh, when he came on. And of course, he had to replace Kevin Bruyne, which is a terrible task. But yeah, it, it really didn't work that well. Well, and for the game against Italy, between Italy and Belgium, um, I would say it's a 50-50, really. Um, and uh, that, uh, since like, there's so many tactical things and so many injury-related uh, issues that we don't know yet um, that that could flip the coin one way or the other. And of course, it's all um, yeah the whole factor of luck that is the most important one in, in football. But in for the tournament, in case the coin would flip Belgium's way, it's still also difficult to tell since so many things hinge on these injuries and by then maybe suspensions. And also, just every team that's still in the tournament has shown that it can have a really good game, which can be the downfall of any other team, uh, whether it be a favorite team or an outsider. While also every team has shown weaknesses in other games, to take the case of Belgium, that their game against Denmark was, well, they got really lucky, um, despite, of course, also bringing in the class there that, that can make the difference. And that's why... It's difficult to say. Um, so I, I, I guess in ev- in every game, it's a 50-50 chance. It's a cliche to say, I guess. But given the half that both Italy and Belgium are in, um, that I think it's a fair thing to say. Um, I think actually this would go for both teams. If, also, if Italy would progress, I guess it's it would be the same. And yeah, for the confidence for the game itself, we know that Italy has uh, not lost in almost three years now. So... That's uh, quite an impressive streak, and we hope that Belgium can stop this. Belgium, on the other hand, has um, scored a goal uh, every time since in every game since uh, that dreadful uh, semi-final loss against France in the World Cup. So at least, hopefully, that it will be some entertaining game, and actually a bit more entertaining than the one uh, against Portugal. And um, let's see uh, how it goes. May the best one win. Thanks again to Yoris for that. Very interesting. Uh, Kenny, Yoris gives it a 50% chance or a 50-50, he said. Um, what do you make of that? Do you think 50-50 is fair? How do you think Italy will fare against a team that lines up like Yoris is suggesting that Belgium might? Yeah, I think 50-50 is fair. Um, and if you're looking at the, the world rankings and probably people's expectations of Italy coming into the tournament possibly even generous to, towards Italy. Belgium are uh, obviously a, an incredible side, and especially if they've got their, their full strength, really, really hard hard to stop. 
but obviously that is the big the big question mark. I know they're playing the cards close to close to their chest, but the the questions over De Bruyne and Hazard will be will probably be be key to this. But I, I think one of the things that I thought was very interesting about what Juris said was about how he expects Belgium to to play deep again, uh, as they did in their the, the game against Portugal. That I think could be a problem for for Italy because I think that kind of that that's kind of where Italy's problems against Austria and even Wales when Wales went down to to ten men they as you would expect them to they kind of dug in and sat deep tried to keep the goal difference respectable knowing that it would likely get them through and Italy really struggled with that so that could actually be something that becomes a little bit of a problem having said that. I would hope to see Chiesa start, and if he does, then perhaps uh, I think that the, his his pace could bring something something different. Uh, and obviously, we've spoken about um, Italy's lack of uh, ability to create chances. Well, if chances are going to be even fewer and far between, then Chiesa, to be honest, at this moment is a man that you want on the field because he's more likely to more likely to take them than not. Yeah, and uh, but as a, a familiar situation for you, worrying about what Romelu Lukaku is going to be doing at the weekend, how are you how are you feeling about it? So, having watched the um, Portugal game for Belgium, I felt that uh, actually Big Rom didn't have the best performance of his career. He was getting a little bit frustrated. He was maybe trying to go it alone a few times too many when there was possibly a better option to pass to. I think this whole notion of uh, him declaring to the world that he's a elite striker, which for the record, I think he is, has kind of added extra pressure on him. And maybe that's what drives him. But in this game, particularly in, in particular, it felt like maybe he was trying a little bit too hard. And yet, despite me saying that he's had a terrible, a terrible game by his standards, he still ran Pepe and Ruben Diaz uh, ragged. Uh, they were just literally bouncing off him. They really didn't know what to invent to stop him, including all the dirty tricks in the book. And uh, so, obviously, he's a formidable talent, and he's not the only player who's uh, outstanding in the team. Obviously, they have the their current uh, Eden Hazard and uh, De Bruyne dilemmas, but there's plenty of players with uh, good feet in that midfield. Perhaps their defense is where um, they can be gotten at. Uh, I know you guys have a little bit of a soft spot for uh, Vermalen having played for Arsenal, but... Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure that he plies his trade in uh, Japan of all places right now. So I'm not sure he's the most solid option. And uh, Alderweireld is also getting on with his age. So a young and propulsive Italy side might be just what it takes to uh, break this defense down. And uh, another point is that Belgium got only six shots on target, uh, six shots in total against Portugal. That's quite a measly return, and, and the Italy defense is going to do is going to pull even dirtier tricks out of its uh, book to stop shots from happening. And how about the Italy defense? How do you think they're going to deal with Lukaku? I mean, obviously they know the threat; like they play play against him a couple of times a season. Well, Boaz mentioned the the dark arts and uh, master <laughs> of the dark arts. Chiellini uh, is uh, <laughs> is expected to, to be back for this one. The latest indications are that he trained with the the team today and that he's likely to likely to start. So maybe we'll see more of them. And of course, the Azzurri also have uh, Bastoni, who uh, trains with uh, Romelu Lukaku week in, week out. 
and presumably he's marked him plenty of times in training and should he get on he will be a useful addition but in the worst case he can tell uh, whoever is playing what Romulo likes to do yeah uh, very good point um, and just focusing on the the Italy starting lineup for a second uh, a debate that's been kind of raging in the Italian media has been a, a, around the, the central midfielder obviously we're big fans of Locatelli on this podcast who do you think that he's going to go with to start again? Is it going to be Locatelli or is it more likely to be Marco Verratti that gets in? Well, it's, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure it's been uh, raging, but it's certainly an area of, of debate. Uh, Verratti, again, was another player who, you know, his, his return was hotly anticipated. His first game back was great uh, against Wales. But to be honest, in the, the Austria game, my personal view is he was just the wrong player for for that game. He gives you he, he's a bit more tenacious than Locatelli. He's uh, he's he's a very very classy footballer, but he he also has that element to his game, the bite. And Locatelli perhaps is more of a sort of classic regista type, really. Uh, and I think perhaps in that game against Austria, a, a player like Locatelli would would have been better. Having said that. Just because Verratti didn't have the best game in the last one doesn't mean that I don't think that he's he's still the right person. I think for this game where you've got the the attacking options that Belgium have at their disposal, I think probably Verratti is going to be the the better option in in this game. And that's not to take anything away from Locatelli. It's just I, I think uh, I think with hindsight, Captain Hindsight over here. Telling Mancini, perhaps he should have started Locatelli in the last one. I I expect him to start Verratti again in the next one, and I think that would be the right decision. Yeah, maybe Locatelli could come on and make an impact. What do you think, Buzz? I think a part of the fa- the reason uh, Verratti played in the Austria game was probably to get him a little bit more match fit. And I think that uh, I agree with Kenny that possibly a slightly more creative player, and not that Verratti is not creative, but less tenacious would have been uh, would have served Italy better in the Austria game. But in this Belgian game where the, their midfield is notoriously strong and uh, fast and uh, also kind of tenacious, as we said, I think Verratti is a perfect fit. And something that shouldn't go unmentioned is that with Verratti by his side, Jorginho is able to do a lot of things differently and he's, a, he's able to really bring his uh, best football out. And uh, he's currently essential to this uh, Italy squad. And uh, as such, I think that I would go with Verratti despite his not not stellar performance against Austria. Yeah, and he's not hugely dissimilar to N'Golo Kante in style Verratti, really. And obviously, for for the period that De Bruyne was on the field for that Champions League final, that pairing uh, did uh, a fairly a fairly good job of uh, stemming the Manchester City attack, which obviously relies very heavily on on De Bruyne. So, uh, I mean, there's kind of yeah. uh, proof there from from previous form really hoping for a repeat of that performance absolutely see uh, Italy down to the ground anyway yeah really really looking forward to this game it's the Friday late to Friday night kickoff as well so um yeah perfect perfect weekend I'm already um, having sleepless nights <laughs> we should just move on and it, it seems like Italy will be taking the knee before this game but there has been some controversy around this topic and Italy's public statement has been, to say the least, slightly confused by us, hasn't it? 
for a side who've only conceded one goal throughout this tournament, uh, this was a spectacular own goal from the Azzurri and the Fijici. Essentially, this is kind of a long-running affair where Bonucci earlier in the season kind of released some ill-fitting statements about um, why he won't be leaning and why he doesn't really agree with the whole thing, but he will he will kind of uh, support racism in another way. And just the other day, Chiellini, the captain, was also uh, quoted as saying that um, we will be kneeling out of solidarity with our opponents, not for the campaign itself, which we don't share. As the Austrian players didn't kneel in the last game, we remain standing too. And this is a real cop-out from Italy as a whole, because if you're kneeling because you don't support the statement, but you're kind of doing it because the other team is doing it, then you really don't have any willpower or you're not making much of a statement yourself. And really, my big criticism goes to the Fiji who should have released a statement a long time ago and kind of standardized whatever the Italy players do, whether it's kneeling or not. Right now, it's a real hodgepodge of ideas and mismatched uh, political opinions. And the message boards in Italy are going crazy about, uh, about the pros and cons of doing it when really it's just a message of solidarity with your fellow black countrymen, of which there are some, there are quite a lot of Italians. So... I think this whole stance is uh, it's kind of has a sour taste to it. Yeah, it's uh, not the clearest stance, is it, Kenny? And um, yeah, it just, just seems like a bit of appeasement, really, when they pick and choose which opponents they kneel with. Yeah, I mean, I think that for starters, my, my stance all along on this has been that by, by not taking the knee, you're making more of a statement than you are by, by taking the knee. As Boaz said before we recorded, it's the, the simplest, lowest effort thing that you can do just to, to pay respect. And I have to say that Chiellini's comments are a joke, really. Um, to say that taking the knee, you don't agree with the statement or whatever, to, to me, this isn't uh, is not about a, a political movement. As Boaz said, it's about showing solidarity and in the sporting context obviously this uh this all was initiated with colin kaepernick uh, and the nfl doing this basically to to protest against the the treatment police treatment of of black people in in the states and you can take the knee out of solidarity with with that message and to be honest i don't see who who wouldn't um, so yeah, just massive copper. Really, really disappointing uh, all round. To be honest, uh, yeah, don't really have much more to add than that. This, of yeah. course, follows the the joke that was uh, the Wales game, where just five Italy players uh, took the knee when the whole Wales squad did. And I think in that game, especially the the players didn't really know what to do, and some of them kind of spontaneously did it, others didn't. And again, a unified message from the coach from whoever runs the te- the the federation uh, even from the president it it's, it's such a simple statement and it, it's we're here talking about it when it we really should just be talking about football but uh, often times sportsmen and footballers put us in a position where they where we have to discuss off the field antics as well you know the living la vida loca challenge i'm going this is i'm giving it here <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and you say like it, it shouldn't be left up to the players, which to to a point I can agree with, but it's it's not even really that, is it? Because I feel like the the England policy has been led by the players, and that's fine. But they've sat down together as a group, come up with a policy. And presumably, it's been approved by the FA at some point. But they've got a policy, and then they all agree on it, and they all stick to it as a team. And that's clearly not happened with Italy. So I think 
that that's um the maybe not the root of the problem but it's it's what leads to this kind of half-hearted display which is yeah. just embarrassing i agree uh, anyway let's um let's move on from that i think we've said everything we need to say um and just kind of round up what's been going on away from the euros quickly Vincenzo Italiano, or Vinny Italian as we like to call him, has been confirmed to Fiorentina. We discussed that last week. Our boy Spinazzola has been obviously uh, impressing the big boys in Europe in this tournament. He's attracting interest from Barcelona and and PSG. Uh, Also, uh, Mari Rui is reportedly moving from Napoli to Galatasaray, fee of 5 million euros being reported there. And another story that we covered earlier in the season uh, the Fiji Chi has told Claudio Latito that he has until Saturday to sell Salonitana, um, obviously the newly promoted side. Otherwise, they could be excluded from Serie A and Benevento would return to the top flight. Obviously, it's because he also owns Lazio and there's a rule against owning two teams that are in direct competition. So, yeah, just a few days. I mean, if you've got a few quid lying around, you probably <laughs> put, put in a credible bid for, for his football club. What else should we talk? Oh, yeah, the Primavera final. Empoli have beaten Atalanta 5-3. That's the... It's under-19s, isn't it, Primavera? You guys that played in the youth system. Yeah, under-19s. And oh, we, we, we've talked about Inter's uh, liquidity issues before on this podcast. Uh, there's an effort by Inter fans to crowdfund an equity investment into the club, including some celebrities. It's uh, an interesting approach to the problem not sure how the owners and new private equity investors would respond to to that kind of initiative but we'll keep an eye on that for you and let you know and finally looks like Mourinho could be bringing one of his old mates Rui Patricio to Roma could be an interesting addition to that squad I think that's all we had to round up Um, an interesting addition yet another average goalkeeper for Roma when when it's a problem position yeah, I didn't didn't want to lay into him, but I don't really see how he's a tier above either Paolo Lopez or Maranto. Well, I guess we will maybe be proven wrong. Look, look forward to watching him anyway. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on to the honourables and dishonourable mentions. And Kenny, you wanted to kick us off with a, a nice one that paints Serie A in a positive light. Yeah, this is uh, an honourable mention for Serie A itself. Uh, because with 30 goals scored in this tournament in this tournament by players based in Serie A, the league has equaled the record set by the Premier League in 2016 for contributing most goals to to a Euros. So, yeah, let's hear it for Serie A. And uh, Boaz, we mentioned already Spinazzola today, but you want to give him uh, another honourable mention? Yeah, Leonardo beep beep Spinazzola. Um, who was recorded the, in this Euro running at 33.8 kilometers an hour and thus is the fastest player in the tournament. Um, I, I was quite surprised by that because he's obviously a very skillful player as well, but clearly he has other uh, feathers in his bow and f- what a f- fantastic stat. Yeah, I, I wanted to give... An, this is down as an honorable. I think it probably should be a dishonorable although not to Victor Osimhen, but to whoever has stolen the money for his transfer. Um, we don't have the full details on this story, but it seems like some of the money that was 70 paid... Million. The, <laughs> $70 million, I think This article says £50 million has gone yeah, missing. Maybe it's £50 million pounds versus €70 million. Euros. Okay. Well, anyway, a substantial amount of money has gone missing. Um, 
I mean, it could potentially have been invested into another business that one of the previous owners was running. That's uh, unproven um, at this point allegation by one of the articles I was reading about it. Just pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, not much more to say about that one. Um, we obviously enjoyed the video of Victor Osimhen throwing around dollar bills in a club over Christmas. Maybe he took the money and that's, that's how he's spending it. <laughs> one can only speculate. Um, anyway, for something completely different, Baz, we want to talk about a bromance amongst the uh, coaching staff of the Azuri. Yeah, um, this is an honorable mention for the beautiful images of uh, Gianluca Vialli and Mancini hugging after, the, actually after both goals for the Azzurri. Just fantastic scenes, but even more wonderful when you consider that uh, the entire backroom staff in, for the Italy setup is uh, pretty much made of ex-Sandoria players. There's Evani, who we joked about a few months ago, that he looked kind of like Bob Dylan, uh, like a Bob Dylan impersonator. There's uh, Tilio Lombardo that fans of Crystal Palace may remember. Uh, there's a few. There's a few others. Of course, there's De Rossi as well, who's kind of bossing things. So it's generally a, a likable it- Italy setup, and even a very likable backroom staff that maybe should have achieved a lot more with that Sampdoria side uh, back in the early '90s. And some of them definitely did go on to achieve great stuff with various other clubs. So kudos to their ongoing friendship and the fact that they're. Um, they're, they're colleagues, but they're friends above all. Yeah, and also it has to be pointed out as well the the challenging time that Viali's had fighting, uh, I believe it was pancreatic cancer that he that he's had over the last uh, few years. So yeah, just really touching, really to see two old friends uh, enjoying the glory like that on the on the highest stage. Yeah, um, even if they did leave him behind on the team bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was mean. It was mean. Uh, speaking of mean, we've been a bit mean to uh, Aldovaro Morata recently. So, Kenny, do you want to do you want to give him an honourable make-up for it? I will gladly give Alvaro Morata uh, an honourable. Uh, he obviously, he, uh, we all know that Alvaro Morata is a listener to the show and has been chasing all of the uh, all of the awards out there. The uh, Living La Vida Loca Challenge, uh, the now named uh, Morata Challenge, which used to be the Gagliardini Challenge. Obviously, Morata doesn't often is obviously a very busy man and doesn't always get to the end of the show with the honourable mention section and has only recently discovered that someone on the podcast has been handing out, out honourables for. Uh, for great goals, honourable mentions for great goals, and he absolutely gets one for for his goal for for Spain against Croatia. Just a wonderful first touch, and uh, yeah, absolutely hammered it in uh, Rebic style. And uh, so yeah, definite definite honourable honourable mention, and I think made the sweeter for him given the fact that all of Europe has basically been uh, making jokes at his expense throughout this because of some what is fairly. You know, quite fair to say, has been some some awful finishing. But what a nice, sweet way to <laughs> shut up the critics! It was a lovely goal, and made all the better by the fact that he shanked a couple in that exact game previously. <laughs> um, Buzz, you've got an honourable for Inter women's new coach. Yeah, Inter Feminile have just announced the signing of uh, Rita Guarino, who um, won the last four Feminile championships with Juventus. Clearly, they noticed that uh, by bringing in former Juventus coaches, they, they can uh, achieve success. And so they've done the same in, for their women's side. And by all accounts, she's one of the best uh, female coaches out there. And uh, 
this again goes back to an old uh, an old uh, statement that I I've made that it seems like uh, Italian clubs are investing more into their uh, women's setup, and that's just great news for the game. Indeed, um, and just before we move on from this, I wanted to give a couple more honourables to uh, it's Italian national team players. Uh, firstly, for Bilotti, substitute on as a striker, decided to just play like a wrecking ball, smashing into absolutely everyone, slide tackling, a, a heroic, if slightly hilarious, performance. And also, because I know Boaz will not give this man an honourable mention, we have to give one to Donnarumma uh, for that save that he made at 2-0 uh, in, in the Austria game from Gregorich. Could have made the difference if that one didn't go in. It was full extension, palms it out. Boaz, you're muted, but I can see you're making faces. He deserves an honourable mention. Who? <laughs> yeah, can't, can't convince you to acknowledge him, even as a person. After all those years of service. Anyway, you can give a dishonorable to somebody to just take your anger out on the league. Yeah, I mean, um, it looked like uh, Holland were coasting in their game against uh, the Czech Republic. And they also had a one-on-one chance that if that player played for a, a Serie A side, I would definitely have given them a dishonorable because it was criminal. But uh, Matthias De Ligt, for some reason... Uh, slipped and decided to handball, to touch the ball with his hand, which was, maybe he did it by mistake, maybe he did it on purpose. Either way, he cost his uh, nation dearly. Kenny correctly brought up that the league had three or four handball touches this season, some of which were given, some that weren't. Maybe he needs to refine that part of his game. Yeah, he needs to practice a natural position for his hands, maybe. Or play volleyball. (laughs) That's another solution, yeah. Um, we haven't had many dishonorable this week, uh, but this one counts for at least three. Kenny, you want to finish us off with an excellent dishonorable? Yeah, I thought we should go out on go out in style uh, with a, a dishonorable mention for for the mother of Juventus and uh, France star Rabio uh, Veronique Rabio, who, as well as being his mother, obviously is uh, his agent, I believe. Uh, who didn't take too well to France going out to to Switzerland and apparently launched into a torrent of abuse against uh, some of the the families of the French stars, in particular Mbappe's family and uh, Pogba's family. It was widely reported that she was... uh, hurling abuse at uh, Mbappe saying that he <laughs> saying that he was arrogant uh, but apparently there's there's quite a nice quote here from Lequipe which says that she said it is embarrassing how he struck that for a player of his level he hit it too lightly i hope you're going to scold him which is a <laughs> a particularly strong quote but then also uh, yeah unhappy with uh, sorry not not happy with just the laying into you know Europe's golden boy of the moment uh, she also apparently uh, laid into Pogba's into Pogba's family for Pogba giving the ball away in uh, what turned out to be the build up to Switzerland's late equalizer so yeah i mean just absolute scenes in the stands but by the sounds of it and i really wish i could have been there yeah that is excellent um and with constructive criticism like that maybe she could find a job in uh, Roma's coaching staff for example I think she'd fit right in. She could uh, apply for anyway. the Spurs manager job. <laughs> <laughs> I think that vacancy may now be filled. Anyway, that is all we've got time for on this 
podcast. If you don't already, please do subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your audio. We'll speak to you again, hopefully after this weekend's game. Until then, thanks for listening. Enjoy the Euros. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.